were just talking about um, Lenny's approach to, you know, when he found uh, a, an artist or, or an act that he was interested in working with. Please continue. I cut you off. Just that uh, because I'm a musician and able to understand music um, as a language, um, whenever I looked at artists that I wanted to work with or, or, or whether I wanted to work with them or not, uh, and I, I was working with them, um, I always felt I had a, a deeper understanding of what they were trying to do uh, musically and what message they were trying to get across, not just in, not just lyrically, um, but also in the pulse of the music and, and in, in looking at a bunch of bands over the years that I was thinking of signing or, or was working with, it was being able to play guitar was always my secret weapon, you know, like my, to create of, that vibe with the artist or, or more <clears throat> just like if, if I wanted to work with an artist, if I was a better guitar player than the, than the guitar player in the band, that was a sure sign that I shouldn't sign them. You know, oh, like, oh, well, like, you, you know, it was almost like, you, you or an easy way to thug yourself in the group. No, just <laughs> Into the just group. you know, it was just like uh, a benchmark for me that I wanted to work because I never really considered myself a musician or an artist until recently. I so know. all the years that we knew each other, you never shared that. I just would come into your office and see Lenny, the guitar neatly displayed. Why not? Why not? Um, I. I, I kind of like woke up one day and I was f like 44 years old and I picked up my guitar and I started playing and I was like, fuck, I can, I can play, you know? And, and I think it had to do just with, um, uh, self-discovery and and not you know like often we're our own worst enemies in terms of how we restrict ourselves or mm. our thought or mm. our potential because we're not really following our own narrative we're we're listening to, to too many people externally you know, allowing ourselves to be in a box, put or, ourselves or in a box. yes, or even you're putting yourself in a box or just having a certain, you know, kind of narrow casted kind of view of what your identity should be and, and, or where you want to go and how you want to get there and, and what you want to be when you get there. Mm. And for me, I was always an enabler for artists you know, and I was close with artists and, and they were able to, you know, communicate with me and, and confide in me because they knew that I understood music from their level. Mm -hmm. Even though they may not have known that I played or whatever, I was still able to find this uh, very communicative vibe with them mm -hmm. because they trusted me because they knew I understood what they were trying to do, mm -hmm. not just achieve, you know, and be successful. And at the time, whether it's sell records or, or 
whatever it is, streens or whatever the case is, you know, what, whatever the model, it was beyond that. It was, they had something to say and they wanted it to be, you know, this indelible kind of mark mm -hmm. that they left. Every artist wants to make their mark. That's the, that's the goal. The first goal. Yeah. Anything. Yes. And it, it's to ultimately, you know, give back. I think mm -hmm. there's something that's very rewarding in contributing in to the giving culture. back. Yeah. Whether I was on the business end or the artist end, it was the, I, I received so much from music in, in so many ways, so many, so much knowledge, so much, um, just of my passion so much of the way i understand the world is is really related to music and uh i always wanted to give something back positive back to it yeah you know in a little way in a, in a large way well and you definitely have um thank you in case you're unaware of where you are you have too well thank you very much yeah, yeah. this is the moment of truth podcast <laughs> blessed oh let me know God. lenny levine is in the motherfucking building thank you for coming sir you're welcome you're welcome thank um, you for having me it was nice to reconnect after all this time absolutely little um background to give a little context uh lenny's a wild motherfucker <laughs> lenny's a guy i grew up um don't tell anyone you'll ruin my reputation <laughs> i think that is your reputation rogue <laughs> a rogue executive <laughs> from the slimy scummy business we love so much called entertainment yeah um lenny was uh, a gentleman that was at my record label the first record label um that i was signed to uh shout out dkd donald k donald donald and then that's where me and lenny's journey starts together i'm 15 16 years old donald k they bring me into this office across from the old montreal forum and they're all looking at me like an alien, like, what the fuck do you want us to do with this kid? <laughs> um, and Lenny... No, but wait, you were with you were with Awesome at the time. Just no? before Awesome got involved. Okay. It was Terry Flood, God bless Terry Flood, rest in peace, who uh, introduced me to Donald K. Donald. I think he's still alive. Terry? Yeah. Is he? <laughs> no. I think he passed away. No. Oh I God! I don't think so. <laughs> Awkward. Well, we better we better figure that one out and edit it out. I had heard I had heard Terry passed away, so cut. So Maybe Terry I'm Flood wrong, introduced. I think, me. I think yeah. Okay. Terry Flood introduced me to Donald K. Donald. <laughs> we have to figure out if we're if yeah. or leave that. I think you should leave yeah, it. Yeah, this it's is epic. totally leave it. This is epic. It's hilarious. This this is totally, sure. Yeah, that's this totally is epic. yeah yeah. So <laughs> so Terry Flood. Brings me to Donald K. Donald, who brings me into the office and introduces me to this gentleman. And you ended up putting together. But I'm not dead yet. But, <laughs> but you should be, right? All the partying those guys did. I don't know. It's highly unlikely. Terry, uh, Terry's like the greatest Terry Flood line is. Um, okay. You know, he was on the Festival Express that I don't know if you guys know about it. Back in the day, you know, there was this train that that toured across Canada with these crazy, amazing artists on it, and Terry was on that train. And it, I, I can't, I'm going to get it wrong, but it, Buddy Guy, wow. Janis Joplin, what? Grateful Dead, and Terry was on the train because Mash McCann. Ooh. He was managing this Canadian rock band, like pre Guess Who era, I guess. Um, mash mccann okay this is this That's is crazy. a true story i didn't know that and um 
And uh, so Terry's on, like, there's a film about it. There's a, there's a documentary called The Festival Express. Now, I don't remember seeing Terry in it. Nonetheless, okay, he he's there. on this train. Oh, oh he's been there uh, oh, like he's, forever. He's legendary. He's, he's legendary. A fly on the wall everywhere. He's that. a legend. He's the Forrest Gump of the music business. Is so, he not? Anyway, he's on this fucking train. So I asked, he, he was talking about it, but you know, not much, you know, and I was like, Terry, what the fuck? What was it like to be on this train? <laughs> and, and he's like, eh, Lenny, if you, uh, if you remember it, you weren't really there. <laughs> <That's> the- <laughs> and that is a perfect description of Terry Flood. Jangling like the change in his pocket while he was saying that. So yeah. Terry, um, brought me <laughs> to yeah, Donald. Yeah. Yeah. These are some Gary. old school characters. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, no, that's a that's a great uh, a great, great um, impersonation impersonation of Terry. Of Terry. So I meet these uh, larger than life <laughs> characters, to <laughs> to put it nicely, <laughs> and uh, they introduce me to the you know younger hip, uh, you know side of the company, which was uh, which was yourself, Parkside and Parkside Mike. He was always much hipper than me. Uh, you're pretty hip. You're pretty hip. Right. I always noticed that he had crisp white Shelto Adidas, which resonated with me because that's that that's that hip hop shit. That's that true. Music. So I liked him immediately. Yeah, I'm like, who's this Jewish guy? Does he know about hip hop? Oh shit, he got nice shoes. All right, I'll listen to him. So he put together the marketing plan. Am I correct for my first? Or you worked on it for the Probably. first project? Me or or I think Parkside? You on it, both of you. I know. I I, coming into your office and showing you the first uh, proofs of the cover. I know. I know. I worked on it also with regard to because we always went after um, government grants, like Factor oh. and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. But it was Parkside who was more, I think, kind of hands on. Yeah, like in terms of understanding the market, and you know, he was the one who was who was on the ground. We'll get to some of those stories because they're fucking hilarious. But let's continue on your journey here. So you wind up at this record label with these um, these insane people. And <laughs> how did you get there? How did you get to DKD? Oh, fuck. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, this is how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it was complicated. I I I finished working uh, for EMI. Mm. I was under contract um, with them. It was supposed to be a year long contract that lasted two years, and um, I was doing. Uh, I was filling in for someone who was out on uh, maternity leave, mm-hmm. but it, it just lasted longer than it it was supposed to. And um, I was doing sales and, and customer service for, e- for EMI's Montreal branch. So that meant I was um, <clears throat> running around to, to retail a lot, going to back in the day was the Fantases, the HMVs, the Music Worlds. Mm-hmm. And you already had um, the in because you worked there. No, I, it was I, his well, job. At, he was the liaison. Fantas, yeah. Right. At Fantas, yeah, but like at the other stores, I had to, you know, learn, learn the personnel and and learn the landscape and, you know, some of these stores. I mean, like if you if you go into, you know, uh, if you were going into like a, an HMV and like, 
Place Versailles, mm -hmm. you know, versus uh, going to Phantasmagoria on, mm -hmm. you know, they still had a store on Park, their original store on Park, or if you were going to, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, back in the day you had Sam the Record Man also, and you had, you know, like you just had, I mean, if you go even further back, you had A&A &A mm. as well. And anyway, like each, by the time I was working for EMI, like mall stores were at their height, you know, that's like going into like music, music world. world had like a, a ton of fucking yeah. stores and. You know, like yep. that was that was the landscape back then. So when I was working for EMI, I was visiting these stores, doing uh, point of purchase displays with posters mm -hmm. and uh, selling them like what the new releases are, and 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 you know pitching them on catalog that we were doing deals on. You know, and um, so my contract ended, and um, one of the guys at EMI asked me so what are you gonna do you're gonna go work for a label and i was like yeah i'm gonna fucking go work for a label that's what i'm gonna do and uh he was like okay cool good luck you know <laughs> you know you have no idea what you're walking into well i and i you know I, I really wasn't sure how to necessarily go about it only i i knew that because i had already had experience with donald's office mm -hmm. um when I was at Fantas, whether it was, you know, he was promoting shows and we were doing promotions and I was able to get backstage passes or whatever the case is, I had experience with his office already and I knew that he had, um, I knew that he had a bunch of labels and I also had an in to have a meeting with him. So I had my meeting with Donald and, and, he was like, like he was, he was, he liked me and it was cool, but he, he didn't, he wasn't about to make the decision at that time. He was still had his hand in concert promotion. Like, yeah, that was his know, bread like, and butter. Like it, it wasn't like he had just finished like touring Celine Dion being Celine Dion's tour producer before she split off and had her own, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there it was, it was, he, he wasn't so involved in his record labels. Mm -hmm like really hands-on like he was in his his touring so he told me to go speak to mark mark lazar who was the president of aquarius records and former and, and uh taka taka music french side yeah like big artists for quebec like kevin Parent and france d'amour mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so what year was this oh, fuck. pre-2000 what year was this Maybe, maybe 2001. Okay. 2002. Because now I'm, I'm trying to like visually see some 41's mm. platinum records, you know, yeah. and looking at the date on the plaque. Mm, yes. Anyway, I, I think those like started in 2003. So I'm going to say this around 2001. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mark was extremely tough to get to. I left him messages, you know, he wasn't returning calls. I, I showed up at the office once, <laughs> he didn't see me. Like there, it was just impossible to get to him. So I said, okay, how the fuck am I gonna get this guy to see me? So what I did was I decided to learn 
what Aquarius's artists were at the time and what Taka's artists were at the time. I, I, okay, it's Kevin Parrain, it's April Wine, it's Sash Jordan, it's Biff Naked, it's, you know, like, um, and I then went and did my own retail tracking. So I went to like 10 different record stores with like a a list in my hand Mm -hmm. and went to like the displays and said, okay, there's three of Kevin Parent's latest record at 1899 at HMV in Place Vertu. And yet they only have one of Biff Naked's uh, new record out, you know, and they only have one in the bin at 2199. Mm -hmm. And then I just did all this kind of like this research, data research, research. research Mm -hmm. live in the store like tried to just do it without anyone noticing. If I had to explain myself, I explained, I just made up some bullshit story <laughs> and that I was from the label or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then by the end of it had like a dozen stores where I had all of his product tracked, what the prices were, how many were in stock, you know, where they were, like what real estate in the store he had, that kind of thing. Sure. And um, I, I, I took one of the sheets and I, I wrote a cover letter and I faxed it to Mark. And I said, yo, I have 12, uh, 11 more like these. Call me if you want to see how your product is positioned in Montreal retail. <laughs> nice. You know, within five minutes he called me. Wow. That day I was in his office. So you made yourself an asset Rather than coming asking for a job, you 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 know you made yourself you created a, a space I created, for yourself. I created I created a yeah I cre I I his problem was always sales and sales and sales and sales and you know not getting um not getting the appropriate looks or or space in a yeah, store to true. you know or pricing or whatever the case is oops and um, I gave him all this data. And so when I started there, I started as an intern Mm. and I interned at uh, the label for about like eight months. And in that time I, I became the marketing person, not because they needed it or whatever, but because they needed it, they needed it. You created your lane. Yeah. And then by the, by the end of a year, I walked into Mark's office and he just started laughing. He was like, okay, okay. And that's when I got my first paycheck. Wow. It's like, okay, you win. win. See, that's such a gem because, you know, there's so many, you know, um, young cats up, you know, up and coming who want to get into this business. And I think that there's a lot to be learned from your story that, you know, you, you know, obviously you got to put yourself in, in a position to be able to be, you know, considered for such a job. But if you don't create a space for yourself, you don't have a priority or a reason to exist in their eyes right everybody comes and says you know give me a fucking paycheck i want to you know work in this industry but he went and flipped the whole shit and was like you know what this is what you're missing if you fuck with me i'll help you fill this void and any good businessman can be like yeah jump on board yeah i mean well that's that was my intent you know smart and uh you know, I proved myself to be very valuable to the company. And um, I, I really worked with some incredible people there that really 
taught me the business on the other side because I had come from a retail kind of base, you know, mm-hmm. and of course my own musical exploration, you know, in, in seeing shows, I mean, so many shows. And um, so now I was being, you know, taught essentially by guys like, uh, by Donald and Rene LeBlanc. And mm-hmm. these are, you know, guys that, you know, are, are veterans to the wars. And, mm-hmm. and um, I had a chance to work with some really, really cool artists and, and get to see the, you know, the underside of the business and, and, and understand the inner workings a little bit more and develop what I was capable of doing in terms of working with an artist, you know, not only or not necessarily on the creative in terms of the the A and R side, but rather on the marketing and promo side and and in really kind of helping them build their careers. And also defining what their image would be in terms of how it's going to get blasted out to the public. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do you want to be perceived? What do you want your look to be? Are we going with this look? Are we, you know, how are we marketing? You? It was the creative on the other side. Exactly. And, and which is some might say now more important <laughs> and then just as important. You, you, you know where I'm coming from it's, with that. It's statement. like, yeah, it's a yin and yang, you know, like uh, as good as your music is, you certainly have to have a vehicle you know, to, to drive that. And, um, especially now in today's uh, day and age where, you know, everyone has such short and limited attention spans, you know, they have, you have about 15 seconds at most to make an impression, you know, before someone else is off to another device or another, whatever it is, it's just like, you know, and I, I find that right now, especially given you know the onslaught you know of messages being received and 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 what someone is constantly bombarded with in terms of visual and audio all day you know Mm -hmm. it's you have to i feel be very creative in what it is what you're taking in yeah yeah you have to kind of curate your own message let me ask you from your perspective, because I think you have a very unique perspective coming from, you know, running an iconic record boutique, Phantasmagoria, to working, you know, at EMI uh, to being a label guy. Um, do you think where we're at now with streaming and social media and, and all of the obvious stuff that we don't have to go over, is it helping to push the culture forward or is it hindering it? How do you feel? What's your take on that? Um, you can't stop it if you know what I mean. So I, I feel I I had a a similar conversation with someone the other day about this, just with regard to, and he's of an older generation Mm -hmm. and, and just with regard to, you know, like, what do you believe these days? What is your source of truth Mm -hmm. really? is what it comes down to like you 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 know back in the day you would rely on uh such and such uh news media credible news sources rolling stone billboard or or such and such journalist you you had an affinity for because you thought he was giving you he understood the the grit Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like the the real you know the real in hip hop, we had of, Source Magazine at a point. You know, the like, Bible. I, I find that you know, 
And even then, perhaps, you know, we were all naive because even even these people had their agendas as, as well, you know. But nonetheless, now it's very hard to navigate, you know. What's clickbait? What shock value? What, what's what's, the... what's real and, and what's not, mm-hmm. you know, or what's credible and what's truth, not. Truth. Credible. People create their own truth. Credible is the word. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from the Oval Office, you know, to a, a person posting stuff on Instagram, you know, like what's real, what's not, and it, it's it's from. So when you're asking me, like, I I think I'm just curious from the guy who did traditional, you know, uh, you know, marketing at a at a at a you know record label to the, the the model being flipped inside out and turned backwards now what's I your take I kind of like on? it in a way and and I I like it because it's I I it's the equivalent to the wild wild west huh. so anyone you know can can break through mm-hmm. you know even if just for a moment just Anyone? for a moment, I love that you Even said it, that. Well, it's true because like, those fucking gatekeepers, you know, whether it was, you know, the music business was a landmine of gatekeepers. It was very easy to blackball people once upon a time, and now in the information age, it's kind of like, yo, if you could get your shit popping just for an instance, you become part of the conversation at least. Doesn't ensure you to have a career, but you know, you can you can get into the conversation. I just think, yeah, I just think that there, you, you can, you can be discovered, you know, by virtue of what you do. Mm -hmm. It's, it, you can do it very DIY Mm -hmm. and, and it can amount to something. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, you know, you don't have to be reliant on a label right now. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. You know, that's not to say that you wouldn't want to because, you know, labels offer things that, you know, are perhaps beyond what you can do on your own. It's resources, right? And it's a team. It's a team. And can you afford as an artist to pay a floor of people a salary to work on your project? Most of the time, not. So that's the benefit I've always felt. I loved always, I've had probably five or six different record deals in my life. Um, Some of them stateside, some of them with you guys, some of them with Guru, some of them with distributors. And I always enjoyed um, that element of having that camaraderie and having a team around, you know, a team of people who believe in your project. Yes. As long as they push it. (laughs) Right, but they're getting paid. Are they believing in your product or are they getting a check from the label? Well, when you were working with certain people like Lenny who are passionate about what they do, you've definitely felt the difference. I feel, I feel like the, the new style uh, now is you have a bunch of buddies and they come up with you and hopefully they're not snakes or whatever and yeah. one guy is your video guy, one guy is your manager, one guy, and these are your boys. In a perfect you. world, yeah. your boys. Right. But in, in the real James. world, you had people like Lenny who you know actually swam through the shit and knew what he was doing by the time he got to your project not your buddy who you grew up with who might be illiterate or you know (laughs) you know what i'm saying might not be capable of you know taking it where it needs to go i was always um i always fought for my artists 
Sometimes I fought with them, <laughs> you know, but I, I always fought for them. And when I worked with them, like in, in the, I guess in the, in the thick of it, when I was doing my most damage, I was in an executive position so that I was able to translate that message to the field. In mm -hmm. other words, you know, like if I was fighting for your record, then everyone, you know, that I worked with and that answered to me also fought for your record. And I, that's not to say that I necessarily loved it, but they definitely felt the passion that I felt for it. And because of the way I operated in the world, yeah. you know, in this, in this music industry, you know, fortunately touch wood, you know, like, thank you. Um, I always had a, a good reputation because I always treated people with respect, even though I wanted to win, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I obviously wanted, um, all of the projects that I was working on and, and all of the great artists I was working with, I wanted them to succeed because their success, you know, equaled the label's success. I was never one that was, you know, out there kind of looking for the spotlight. I was much more content to kind of hang back a little bit and, and just see the team succeed. You know, like that was, that was wise, always, honey. why? That's wise, I said. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I always played team sports and, and that kind of thing. And I, I was, I was, you know, yeah, I was a good player, but I, I played with other good players and it was good players making other good players better. Did you ever think about going into management? Artist management? Being a, a manager of, of an artist or a Yes. And, and I have. Um, but only uh, kind of more in the beginning of my career. Because um, you would be a hell of a manager. It's funny that you say that. Thank you. Um, I mean it. Thank you. Thank you. I it might I, just force you to manage some people. We're, we're going to see. <laughs> I'm working on something now. And, and that facet of the business as part of the equation. I think it has to be. And I think like there's few people suited for it as well as you. Thank you. But you know, maybe not. <laughs> you know, like, like, That's an honest you know, like, response. I, like, you're fired. You piece exactly. <laughs> you're fired. I tried uh, to be nice, but you're useless. No, I just, you know, like, listen, I, I think any role in the music business, whether it's artist management or, or working at a label or being a booking agent or whatever it is, a lot of it is, a, there's a lot of thankless, heavy lifting bullshit that you have to deal with all the time. You know, you know, it's interesting you say that because now as a grown ass man, I remember being a teenager, you know, punk kid, terrorizing everybody I was working with. And I wish I knew now, I mean, I wish I knew then what I know now, which is, hey, you know, you're lucky if you have some mentally capable adults who believe in you enough to put their time and their energy into you. And I wish I had been, you know, I don't feel like I burned any bridges or anything like that. I wasn't that stupid, but I wish I would have really 
been even more appreciative and more thankful at the time rather than having this narrative. Cause I'm sure you remember the narrative was like artist against label, you know, and the label's always out to fuck the artist. And when the bottom fell out of the conventional model, you know, we were, you know, really happy if we would have a team of people who were getting paid by someone else to help us out. And it was so priceless. But back then the narrative was, you know, if you're the shit and you're, you know, a hot commodity and you're a talented artist, it's always almost you versus the label. Yeah, you know? because the artist, an artist, the artists always felt like they were getting fucked. They're getting cheated. They were getting and fucked were, out and, of royalties. And we were paranoid because of- we were taught that. You know, and we were like, we can never see the books. We never know if we're really recouping. But it was delusional because who the fuck would have listened to these projects if it wasn't for a, a, a company putting it out there in a professional way? And then, and then, you know, um, 50-50 net receipt deals, you know. <laughs> there was some shit in there. Don't get me came, wrong. Came into play. And, you know, like, I mean, when I... When I started um, Club Roll, um, which was my own label with um, Dan Seligman and uh, Sean Bronstein, um, we were doing 50-50 net receipt deals. So what did that mean? That meant that... That was just prior to the 360 deal. It was No, it was just after. Oh, it was just, it was after? just after. Yeah, the 360 deal... <laughs> That had its, its maybe you place can explain to the viewers yeah, yeah, what these two different scenarios break it down are for me, please. Well, a three sixty deal, you know, at least from what I remember it being, was you know that y- you the label had a piece of every uh, like stream of revenue. Yeah, exactly. Live shows, like, merch, like on on everything the artist would bring, you know, from top on down. So it wasn't just on masters and it wasn't, you know, just on publishing. It was also on merch. That's right. It was, it was just on all revenue. So to clarify, the traditional uh, record deal uh, touched the sound recording, right? So if somebody would license your music for a film or for a video game, they would get a piece of that. But the artist... On the masters. Yes, but on, yes. But there, there would be the publishing They would get a piece well. of half of it, let's say. And then, obviously, they would uh, you know, loan the money for the project and all the initial sales they would have to recoup from, and then they would pay the artist. That's the traditional deal. Gotcha. And the 360 deal started when you know sales were going down um, and they wanted to share in any possible revenue that the artist would touch. So publishing Including, as well, live yeah. was a big one, merchandise, yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly. And then spawn the 50 well, net receipt deal was essentially like you're a partner with the artist, whereby, you know, everything is transparent. That was the you're, last deal you're I showing, saw. You're showing, you know, the label is showing you exactly what is being spent on marketing and promotion and publicity and all this stuff. And based on what your advance was and all the other stuff, like no one makes any money until that money is recouped. And when people do make money, it's split 50-50 with the artist. So it was the um, spirit of a real partnership rather yeah. than the artist feel like he's yeah. working for 10% if he's lucky to ever recoup. Yeah, and often, more often than not, these were licensed deals. So the yeah. artist always, um, always owned their masters. The label just licensed First them. First time it's a partnership, and you're saying we instead of I. It's it's us. It's 
Right? Yeah, but that creates other problems or other challenges, you know. Talk to us about those challenges. <laughs> it's just, you know, like, you know, the artist then wonders, well, we just did this press campaign. Why didn't it work? Or, <laughs> you know, or, you know, like, I think, I think the bottom line is this. If the artist or a band could do it all by themselves, they would. <laughs> no shit. But they can't. Nobody and it's, can. And it's not, it's not a diss that. Nobody can. It's just, it's even beyond that. It's just like, if you're really, really so focused in on the business end of things, then the art's gonna how, suffer. yeah. How can you really reach your artistic potential? Doesn't yeah. like doesn't uh, like the industry require you to be the full package these days to kind of have mm. a grasp on everything? Not really, be, because no? I'll tell you something. In my okay. opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Lenny. Um, it, the narrative now is that everybody who's hip and who's like killing the music business right now mm -hmm. is independent. But in reality, they are not. They just appear to be independent. Okay. All these guys who you see going viral after the initial whatever got them there, they click up fast. There's always an infrastructure behind them. It's just now, even marketing-wise, I've read that a lot of artists prefer not to be like marketed like they're signed to a major label, whereas once upon a time, it was like, a badge of honor to be signed to a Def Jam or a Sony or whatever, right? Right. Times changed, you know, like Motown. These were all like these, you know, dynasty labels that it was prestigious to be connected to. But now the narrative became, you know, independent is cool, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, for lack of a better explanation. But a lot of these artists, I know, especially on the hip hop side, <clears throat> are definitely signed to pretty conventional record deals and, and and i'm and management deals in in this particular instance like i'm no expert but you know I, i'm i'm just i'm driving back from the country and um we're listening to uh serious mm -hmm. you know uh we were listening to um uh xmu and we were listening to just a bunch of different uh stations on on serious and in listening to some of these new bands, I'm I'm pretty amazed and and like I mean, even though I for example, there's this band called uh Greta Van Fleet. Okay. They're they're a new band or a newish band, and yet, you know, they really sound or are trying to sound a lot like Led Zeppelin mm -hmm. and do. Now for me, it sounds a little too much like it, like mm -hmm. almost like they're they're trying to to beat them a little bit, you know, and and um, to the point of where it it almost sounds like a, a parody, you know, <laughs> for me. But we get that in hip hop a lot. But but it's still really cool to see, and they're just one band I'm naming off the top of my head. I I can't remember some of the other bands. I was listening to because I was hearing their music for the first time, and it was very uh, derivative of of some '60s and '70s kind of sounding, you know. So a lot more, I guess the word is organic, mm -hmm. and I find that maybe that's a trend right now. Mm -hmm. I find that over the last little while, things were just like intensely produced, 
you know, and I'm finally starting to catch a few glimpses of like this more organic kind of rock vibe coming back. That's dope. And me likey. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you, speaking of, um, you know, different artists. And I don't feeling. like Greta Van Fleet. Okay, just saying. <laughs> just putting it out there. Yeah, fuck you, Greta Van Fleet. And we don't no, like your I name either. Not fuck them, but just like, I don't know. I'm joking. I don't even know yeah. who Greta Van Fleet is. I'd rather listen to, you know, Zeppelin Three than Greta Van Fleet. Yes. Speaking of artists. What what are what have been some of your proudest moments working with artists, working with bands? Who, what were they? And I would love a nightmare story. Who was an absolute lunatic, an absolute nightmare to work with? Oh so give me the high and the low. Oh boy. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> throw them right a, under the bus. A very memorable time, mm -hmm. like one of my most memorable moments. Uh, working with an artist was with the band Metric. Mm -hmm. And it was when Donald pulled some strings because he was tight with Michael, uh, Michael Cole back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, he pulled some strings and he got Metric to be the opening band for the Rolling Stones at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Yeah. So you fuckers never did nothing like that for me, huh? <laughs> No. <laughs> but I no. still like you. No, but he did other things for you, Donald. He did, he did, he did. Donald liked you. I like I, I liked and still like Donald a lot. I really learned a lot from him, like business, you know. He and he was always straight with me, you know? Scoops. That's what we used to call him. Scoopy. <laughs> Fucking Donald. I remember being like seventeen going in his office, like, hey Donald, um, I want to go to New York to try and like you know, battle rap some people and, and make some contacts. And he, he'd just be like, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. He'd go into his little briefcase, take whatever money he didn't gamble at the casino, whatever he had left over. And he's like, there's a 700 bucks there, kid. Take it and be merry and just sign a paper. What you took. And I'd be like, this is the uncle I never had. Donald. This is great. <laughs> 700 bucks. 700 and just take the bus and eat McDonald's. And you know what the best part is? I thought I hit the jackpot getting that 700 American or whatever he had laying in his briefcase. And, you know, shout out to Donald and all you guys because, you know, you were able to turn, slowly turn my dream into reality before I met, you know, the gurus and the people that I ended up meeting uh, stateside. Um, DKD was, was, a, was a great home and was, you know, I have nothing but great memories. And because of the grants and the connections that Donald had, we were able to fund this art. You know what I mean? And it was a, it's a challenge now, but it was a super challenge back then to get an English hip hop project out in Quebec, almost Amazing. impossible. Amazing. Um, and we were one of the only few that were able to achieve that. And I'm really proud of that. And thank you for your, for whatever part you played at the time. Thank we're, you. We're I talking about Plattenberg, right? Yeah. What a great fucking project. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a bit ahead of its time. <laughs> it was very ahead of its time. You know, that's how I, you know, you were doing things that, uh, especially in Planet Quebec, no one knew what the fuck was happening. Oh, no. No one knew what the hell was they didn't happening. even know I was an alien. Yeah. I would walk into meetings with people. I would just see the look on their face. They're mortified. They don't it's, even know what I'm talking about. They don't even about. know. They didn't even know what the hell was going on, man. <laughs> gangstar. What's gangster? Gangstar. We don't want no gangsters. No gangstar. Not gangsters. We're not going to bring gangsters there. Maybe a couple, but not that many. 
gang stop. <laughs> but we just, we had a fucking great time. And I remember I was sitting in your office and Parkside and I, and Pat, shout out Pat Gway, who's been on the show, good friend of the show. He had done like a little mock-up cover and it was like a random like office tower with like a Plattenberg like enterprises on the thing. And you were Parkside was like, eh, this is really too much. Bless. We should, we should change the cover. And I'm like, I don't know. It's pretty cool. And they're like, but it kind of looks like you're like, own a, an office building and it's unbelievable because you're 17 years old it was <laughs> but wasn't that the record cover it didn't end up being no, no it was at the table it ended up being a round table of all my guys in oh, suits and shit yeah, yeah 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 it was like a little mafia yeah, yeah. table meeting some money texture going on pat there. put like the american yeah. uh, eagles and shit that. all over it like like the watermarks like the money stamps and shit i remember that first that first mock-up yeah we were sitting I, in your office, I think. Maybe we thought it was two uh, twin towers. True. I think I think True. that was the vibe. Yeah. Because you, that had just happened. Yeah, I think you're right. That had just happened. And I was in New York recording with Guru when it happened, literally, in yeah, Manhattan. I remember being in that office, watching it on TV, that shit going down. Yeah. And I was unfortunate. So I think that's why we were kind of a little like, mm. Yeah, good point. Because that record didn't come out till 03, so we were probably working on all that the year before, right after 9-11. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could have been six months, eight months after. Yeah. Crazy how time flies. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, New so, York. So, yeah, we're in New York. And um, so I was in New York anyway. Maybe it was just in and around the time of um, CMJ, um, which... No, that's wrong. Like Terry said, if you remember it, you weren't really there. Anyway. Fuck um, this whole damn interview. <laughs> it was, it, we, I was in New York for something other than just that. And, um, but that night, and I remember taking my sales rep, my New York sales rep with me. Her name was Denise. Uh, she's a great girl, Jersey girl. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're at, uh, Madison Square Garden and I hook up with Metric and we go backstage and we're we're backstage you know Madison Square Garden Madison Square Garden Rolling Stones. with Rolling Stones and they're shooting a, uh, they're shooting a DVD so the place like backstage it, it looks like it's NASA you mm. know like it's the amount of gear they have and, yeah. and just what's going on it's crazy so I'm watching the the roadies I'm there early unpack you know, some of the stones is gear. And all of a sudden they start taking out couches and like a bar and, you know, like stools and all this shit. And I watch them assemble a lounge backstage that they travel with, that the stones travel with called the voodoo lounge. Oh, that's so gangster. Fucking so they were stones. unpacking like that's sofas the level, out man. of that's the level of, we like, need to be at Lemmy what the fuck bro Brian why don't we have foldable voodoo lounges when we do podcasts so that night um, I meet uh, a few of the stones I met uh, Ronnie Wood I met uh, Keith Richards I met Charlie Watts 
And how is Keith um, Richards still alive? That's a whole other podcast. It, it was just really cool because what I the, the memorable part of it was after Metric had played and really, you know, to say that anyone gave a shit, no one really gave a shit, but people were still doing their thing. It was Madison Square Garden before the Stones were playing. So they were, they still at least got an audience. Yeah, sure. You know? Um, but after they were done and the Stones were on, I I had an all access pass, you know? So I started wandering with the bass player of Metric um, just all over kind of Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And we got down to the floor and we, you know, I was like, yo, we can't go right up to the stage, you know? And, and Josh, the, the bass player of Metric was like, just walk like you own it, you mm -hmm. know? And, or something to that effect, mm -hmm. you know? And so we just kind of sauntered up right to the edge of the stage and playing right there, you know, practically sweating on us was Keith Richards. And, and it was just like, it's not even like I'm such a huge Stones fan. Yeah. It was just to, Surreal. to be that close to these guys, mm -hmm. you know, that were such seminal influences on so many different people and, and were the bad boys of rock and roll, you mm -hmm. know, there we were and they were old. You know, and this is already quite a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, there they were, and there we were, just kind of looking up at them like this, like just watching the Stones play uh, mm. Brown Sugar. That's cool. Yeah. So that was a, a, a really memorable moment. And a, another one, just while we're on the topic of metric, I, I can't remember which show it was for them but it was just when they were breaking and it was a super super important gig for them and before they went on stage they you know it was dark and everyone was just chanting for them to go on or whatever and just before they went on stage they kind of got into this little huddle you know and i was just standing kind of off to the side you know just like in the shadow or whatever but I just saw a moment between them before they went on stage that was just super special where mm -hmm. they just kind of was like, you saw there, it was like, it was them against the world right there, you know? And they, they just kind of got together and they were like, we're going to kill this show. And, and they really did. Nice. And it, it was one of the nights that kind of propelled their, their careers to next, like that next level. Mm -hmm. And I just saw that little kind of, band huddle you know before they went on and it was just a kind of a, a just a really special moment nice yeah just to see it you know not be part of it necessarily but just to be part of it enough to just see that you know that's dope yeah so i'm guessing metric was one of your um favorite um favorite acts to work with they were one of the more successful ones, you know. There were really cool times, and speaking there were, of, there were not such cool times. We're gonna get there. Last Gang Records. For those who uh, might not be familiar, uh, you, Chris Taylor. He fired me by email. Nice guy. We'll get into that. What were some of the acts that you guys were working with at the time? Um, well, Last Gang started basically with. Uh, with metric and death from above 1979 and um and there were two others that i can't remember who they were right now what slan it was suk yin lee's band 
Do you remember? I remember Sukien? her from Much Music. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but it was really, it was really, um, uh, just thought of something really funny. It, it was really Death from Above and Metric that, that propelled the label and, and really put it on the map because both those bands were, did really well and um, each had their own following. And it was like a friendly competition almost, you know, between them, right? We knew there was a bit of a, not a rivalry, but a little bit. Like each one of them wanted to be, you know, the, the most important band on Last Gang, you mm. know? And uh, they both were kicking ass. So um, that was really those two bands and their success. And then Crystal Castles was... was very big on the electronic side. Yeah, yeah. Crystal Castles was was very big for us. Noise noise as well. Yeah, but you know, less less so than than Crystal Castles. Chromio. Sure. Chromio uh, very successful for Last Gang. Um but but didn't didn't have I think the coolest bands on the label were Death From Above and Crystal Castles. With all of these projects, uh, obviously, I'm sure you were doing marketing. Were you, because I know you're very good with the whole like layouts, album layouts, were you <clears throat> in charge of... I wasn't doing album art or okay. anything like gotcha. that. Gotcha. I was more taking the art that was available, Selling it. creating new art, but mostly for... You know, marketing, advertising, promo, gotcha. promo flipping version. the assets and, yeah. and and booking all the ads and stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then, so yeah, I mean, some of the, I mean, you know, there was one time where I can't remember what it was for a gig in Montreal, and I I got a call from Emily Haynes, and she just lost. She was the lead vocalist of Metric. Mm -hmm. And she just lost. It was her very marbles. close with Chaos, actually. You know Chaos. I worked with Chaos too. Chaos was signed to Last Gang America. Okay, cool. I didn't even know that. I can't remember for what record. Chaos was always to me very talented. I liked his shit, but every time I met him, it was always awkward. Like <laughs> we had like these weird. <laughs> uh, uh, Seinfeld, like uh, it was always awkward. But shout out Kevin, man. I ended up meeting him a couple times later he's with the boys from Tokyo cool and shit when he came. He's a cool dude. Yeah. You know, I, I. It really, I think, I think that artists that are really talented, they they certainly have their vision of who they are and how they want to come across and how they want to be perceived and and that's good that's good and labels good labels understand that but also know that if the artist would just do this mm -hmm. they would be that much yeah. further ahead, right? Or if they would just do that. And then is where the age old <clears throat> the age old conflict comes with fuck the label, they're trying to alter my art, they're trying to, you know, change who I am and there's no way I'm gonna sell out and do that. I think 
I think there, I think that's something that that both sides have to chill the fuck back on, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. In other words, I've learned in my humble experience, you know, um, I'm older now, <laughs> that you... Thank God you're not any wiser. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> um, I think that people have to really do more a better job of putting themselves in the other person's shoes mm. and and it's a sim it's simple it's it's as simple as that really because if you have talented people on both sides mm. you know each you know striving for that goal right mm -hmm. then how is it that you know it, the well sometimes gets poisoned well, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. And when it comes to any project that you know, you're know you passionate about and you're lucky enough to have other like-minded individuals believing in, you should find multiple ways to motivate that person and to keep e that fire burning. It's burn. ego at the end of the day. Yeah. It's ego. I try and steer away from that as much as humanly possible now. It's ego. I, I've, I've worked, especially when I had my label uh, with Dan and it, it, with one particular band that I worked with, it was, it, you know, I had such real belief in what the potential was. Mm -hmm. They just had this certain rawness to them, you know, that I saw, I saw in it that they just needed a little polish and a little direction and they would have been able to achieve, you know? Mm -hmm. But what happened was ego got in the way. Between and each other or in relation to the label? On, on all fronts, gotcha. on all levels, really. Mm. And, and that really was the beginning of the end. Mm. Once that happens, there's no coming back, You right? have to share. Right. Well, mm. your, your selflessness is something that uh, I'm going to take away from this because I was on a team where I had to be Steve Kerr, and I always thought I was Michael Jordan, and mm -hmm. I can only come in for a little bit and like do a couple of things, and I got to sit back down. And I struggle with that to this day of not being the man. And you seem very comfortable not being the man, but still being a key contributor. And that's, that's, that's a cool thing, man. Thank you. I, yeah. I, uh, I just, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just think music is very special. And, right. and for it to, when, you, when you're creating something, it's you're taking it from nothing and bringing it out into the universe. Mm. If not special. everyone, not everyone can do that. It's special. Not everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. Not everyone can 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 you know have a melody or whatever in their head or, or a, a, a lyric or whatever it is and and manifest that and bring it out and not only bring it out but give it a home a space that reminds me of something you said to me um me and lenny hadn't seen each other after seeing each other very frequently for 10 years um, of my career we then pretty much hadn't seen each other in 10 years so lenny <sighs> came by my studio and Time. we had a little listening session and he played me um uh, a 
a passion project, a side project that he's working on called Bobby Cairo. And talk to me about that moment when you were playing that fucking, that guitar riff and, and you got emotional. I, you know I, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. Sure. Um, after all throughout me having a, a label and jamming with um, some of the artists that I signed to the label just for, for fun. Mm -hmm. um, they had to do it or else they'd be dropped. <laughs> not at all. It was like the reverse, you know? And um, I always was tight with one musician and we continued to jam together. And then we decided to, his name is Julian Corrado and he's in uh, another band called... Um, Flamingo's Pink. And... Um, Sounds like a porno. <laughs> they are a porno. They're right. rock porn. Yeah, I yeah. Like that. I like that. Yeah, they're excellent. Anyway, um, uh, we decided to do something together. And and it, it it's called Bobby Cairo. The project is called Bobby Cairo. So for the first time, I went into a studio to record as an artist as opposed to be in a studio as an A&R person or as a Scummy producer executive. or exactly <laughs> or some whatever uh i was there to actually lay shit down mm -hmm. and and so i did for the first time and then for a second time and uh i found that whole experience to be uh, a very very uh, liberating and 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 life-changing experience for me that's dope because it allowed me to just do more than just jam or play or or mm. or noodle around or whatever it actually allowed me to take songs that i had written with julian and put them down so that they're there for all time and f finally release a f you know, things, melodies, mm -hmm. stuff that's been kicking around for, for you, a man. long time. Thanks, man. Yeah. And you Thank know, you, bro. it's so important. And uh, yes, to it actually is. just get it, if for nothing else, just get it out. It was also incredibly <laughs> cathartic because yeah. it helped me a lot of the lyrics and, and the things I had written and the, the, the themes I was expressing mm -hmm. were, was just, um, uh, a release of a lot of shit, a lot of pain, yeah. a lot of just a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that that needed to come out, and I knew needed to come out musically. Um, and the time finally presented itself, so I found myself in 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 the studio, a place called Thank You for Smoking Studios, mm -hmm. that's run by Phil Peltier. He's awesome. Great movie, by the way. <laughs> and. Um, um, I found myself with headphones on and, and, you know, uh, listening to a click and, and, you know, having to be pro, hmm. you know, and, and yet, you know, like stepping to the plate and fucking, and doing what I had to do because, you know, and, and also not fucking around, like. I, I didn't want to get all precious about stuff. Like we, like I, I told you earlier, like we were laying shit down in one take. Yeah. One take. You don't want to lose the feeling. You want it to be we totally organic. We didn't want to organic. lose the feeling. We didn't want to fool around either. Like, you know, like we just wanted to kind of guerrilla warfare it. It's not perfect, you know, but mm -hmm. the, the mistakes are beautiful. 
I feel like that's been a a common theme in your entire ride in the music business. <laughs> it's not perfect. Well, no, <laughs> far from it. But um, going to war, Could be you worse. know, soldiering it out, doing shit guerrilla, you know, just fucking, just jumping in and figuring it out. Often, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that I didn't uh, strategically plan a lot of shit either. Um, but sometimes it, it's it's been a lot about just like kind of enduring. Yeah. You know, and, 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 uh, you know, sometimes just going into a room and just fucking, you know, letting everyone have it and, you know, see who's still standing after, you know, <laughs> oh, I and, remember meetings <laughs> like that, you know, and, and then, um, but also, you know, you get the shit kicked out of you too, you sure. know, you like, you get the shit kicked out of you. I've had to. This business really navigate and and you know in the shark uh, pool. Yeah, you know this business has a funny way of inflating you <laughs> like no other and deflating you like no other. Sometimes you know. Yeah, I I what I've learned is to you have to listen to your instinct. You have to trust your instinct more. Like I would hear it, but I w I wouldn't listen to it in the past you know but it was there because you're so hyped for the opportunity and you want to believe in it it's also ego so you know like you think you can you can you know conquer anything you know mm. or or not that you're smarter than everyone but more just like you can you can outlast them this business is an ego driven business too much too 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 many times you know it's um it is it's always been but then, you know, getting back to what we were talking about, like there I was in the studio and uh, that was like the last, I think the last song of, of the session. And um, I just, uh, I knew it was, it was after a, a, a long day where we, you know, we were running and gunning. We, like we, we must've banged out six songs, seven songs, you know, where I played uh, guitar, bass, and we did uh, vocals and perks like all in one day, and um, and keys, and uh, that was the end of the day, and it was uh, the song was essentially over, but I I was I just kept playing the rhythm guitar because I was just kind of lost in the moment and I I didn't want it to end, mm -hmm. and uh, and I I just felt very very emotional in that moment hmm. where i i i felt like i this was a long time coming that mm -hmm. i would do this and the point the point of making this music bobby cairo music wasn't to dominate the world <laughs> it was purely just to bring something internal out mm -hmm and and bring it into the world and and want the music to connect with other people that's what it's about it's about connection it's always what it's been yeah that's so, why the most exciting thing you can do is play live and you gauge the reaction of the audience you know you see them um the impact that it makes. You see the fucking look on their face. You see if they're moving to it. You see if it's making yes. them hype, emotional. Dance. Whatever. Yeah. And um, 
it's about the connection and that's why artists throughout you know when i've worked with them i think they've realized that i can help them establish that specifically that feeling you're talking about is the reason personally i dedicated my whole life to no matter how i navigated no matter how big the ups and downs were it always gave me something to look forward to it always drew me back Fuck that's yeah. why the studio is the most uh sacred place i could be i'd rather be there than watching a fucking sports event or or you know anything almost that i can think of absolutely like if i ever or i should say when i get that a uh, chance to actually, you know, when Bobby Cairo plays live, you know, like my bandmate plays shows all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, he's in, he's, he's actually in two other bands, you know, mm -hmm. and there's that communion with an audience, that connection mm -hmm. with an audience that he has experienced that mm -hmm. I really want to experience. Mm -hmm. And I haven't yet. You've never played live? Like I in have, a big venue? I have, but n not these songs not these songs not my own music not in a moment of uh, a time in my life where it would make the most sense sure you know no sure. i've i've denied myself as being an artist for the longest of time well i definitely would love to be there you gotta let me know you will be you will be of course That'll be a full circle moment when I'm going to see Lenny perform. Yeah, that'll be ridiculous. It'll be <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, it's kind of one thing at a time. Right now, you know, I'm kind of reaching out musically in a lot of, well, in in two very precise directions. And I, I, one is is Bobby Cairo, you know, and just it's a it's a personal project. I haven't done anything with it yet. I haven't mm -hmm. shopped it around. Mm -hmm. I haven't. It's just up on SoundCloud, just, and I'm watching spins go up, and I don't know who the fuck's playing it. I'm like, I really don't know. You could check some of the analytics, but that's that's about it. Yeah, but you know, like, but even if even if I do, I don't know who these people are, and the fact that they're or actually how they're digging, stumbling upon, stumbling it. upon yeah. it. It's just like it's a total science experiment right now. Sure, you know, and that's fun. fun. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a lot of fun, and. Um, it's it's a lot of fun to hear a lot of positive vibes about it and and just people kind of freaking out a little bit you oh. know um yeah and then there's another direction that shall remain mysterious for the time being uh but i'm 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 working on something now that something sounds very interesting i checked yeah. out your uh what was it your linkedin you do lighting as well right <laughs> Yeah, is that, is that I, the main I, gig it's called Lenny Lights. <laughs> Lenny Lighting. But it, it's it's like industrial lighting, right? It's, it's yeah, like hotel hotel lighting and and design. So I, I was just in um, uh, New Orleans and then uh, New York for like I don't know two weeks ago. Yeah, um, I was like trying to get him to come in. He's like, I'm traveling. I'm like, when are you back? What day? For two like heavy design shows. The New York show was a, a hotel design show where um, the company that I'm 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 working for uh, their their specialty is lighting, but also interior design for hotels and venues and restaurants and commercial spaces and that kind of thing. And I'm responsible for um, the business development end of it mm -hmm. um, because I'm handling a lot of their marketing and 
you know, my, my gig is really to just kind of modernize them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I, the thing I enjoy the most about that gig is the design gig, the, the design aspect of it where I am, you know, creating new things, often building shit with my hands and, and then going out to, you know, some, some big shows to kind of promote all that stuff. Was it? Seems That's to be cool. the theme, right? The reoccurring theme is to take something from nothing, doesn't exist, and then putting it out to the world. That's, that's yeah, you got it. Right, you you nailed it. You'd be birthing, yeah. yeah. You'd be birthing shit. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I love it. I love doing that. I love the the creative aspect. Was of, it a, of business? I guess was it a relief <laughs> from you? You know, taking let's say maybe a pause from you know running Last Gang to having your own label to kind of moving out of the music business for a couple of years were you relieved sad excited you know the i could imagine relieved because there's so much bullshit and red tape that you deal with in the music business all the time so finally you're trading tangible things for money in a timely manner dealing with hopefully mentally rational people somewhat well about that well, um, I needed a break and, and the opportunity and timing presented itself. And I was a bit relieved, you know, and, and, and I guess, um, in feeling that, I guess, sense of a little bit more security you know, like if the music business, like I, I never ever have felt job security. You never you know? were, I, motherfucker. I, 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 I never will. <laughs> you know, like it's it's never something that I've I've felt. Yeah. So I felt it for a second, but you know, it's a false sense of security, mm-hmm. really. Because ultimately, you know, it's still no matter what, it's up to you to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, I'm grateful for for a few things. I'm I'm very grateful that I was able to get into something that I was able to learn a new business relatively quickly and then succeed at it and, and step out of your comfort zone and and step out of my comfort zone and do something completely different and yet still have skills that were transferable to mm. this new gig sure. you know whereby i just find that the ability to communicate is just if you're in business, you need to know how to communicate and you need to know how to get your objective and message across and disarm people. Well, I've always said the training that we received in the music business applied to a real industry. And I don't want to say it's not a real industry, but you know what I mean? We deal with a lot of bullshit and a lot of Mickey Mouse shit. A lot of bullshit. Yeah. When, you, when you're dealing with like, you know, a tangible product and an industry that's, you know, constantly trading on a daily basis, that 
approach that you know we had to swim with these sharks is definitely helpful. And then it's, throw in the fact that if you have a criminal record, you're almost more respected. It's the only industry. Oh no, I'm in not talking world. about the music business. I'm saying taking the music business training and applying and it, bring it to okay. the to the to the Excuse you me. know to the conventional business world is like a hot knife through butter. You know, we just come in there <laughs> because we're like, hey, what do you mean we're actually going to get paid for our efforts? Right. This is great. You know, I. I it was relief, but also, you know, and I, and I also kind of, uh, exiled myself a little bit from the business, you know, for music wise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was during that, that time that I, that I, I mean, I always played guitar and I, and I, throughout it all, I always was playing, but it was during that time where I wasn't in the music business that I was able to rediscover my love not of music per se, but just of playing it mm -hmm. and of creating and it. of creating it. Mm -hmm. And my only um, my only experience with it would be listening to it or playing it, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to managing it. Sure. Um, I and know, that, you... and that if I if I hadn't had that hiatus, you know. Um, I don't think Bobby Cairo would ever exist. No, that project wouldn't have existed. No way. And interesting, your project now and you kind of re-falling in love with playing and all that stuff um, came out of necessity because, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably risked it all financially to start your own label when you left Last Gang. I did. And you put yourself in a very tight position so you could continue to bring these projects to the world. And so you could continue working in an industry that you were obviously passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I didn't want to work for anyone <laughs> at that time because my last experience working for someone, uh, Ended by, like I said, me getting fired by email. <laughs> I'm fucking real. I mean, I don't know the circumstances, but I'm pretty sure you didn't pull your dick out at the Christmas party. So, no. Like, after working with people and, you know, putting your life into something for years, it is pretty <laughs> shitty to be fired by uh, an impersonal email, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was bullshit. But, you know, and, and but that's the music business, kid. That's the music Suck business. Suck it up. That's, that's what it is, right? Or that's what it was. He tried I, firing Lemmy a few times, but he never gets the fucking emails. I thought it was Guy never bullshit. checks his emails. I don't have data on my phone. You never fucking check your emails. Just bullshit. But that's what it was, <laughs> and uh, it made me stronger. It, you know, I mean, at that time in my life anyway, there were so many things that were going down at the same time that that was just, you know, it was it was a tsunami of shit and that was part of it. Mm. And it was a, it wasn't it was a catalyst in in other things that went down, you know, and I I think ultimately even though a lot of them were very painful, I think that uh at the end of it all and here we are talking, you know, um I'm I'm hitting a new stride right now and there's a Absolutely. new, there's a, a kind of like a, an end of one cycle and beginning of another one about momentum, it's like man. kind of happening right now. I love the so. energy. I love the vibe, man. 
Yeah, it's positive vibrations, Rastaman. And I'm very, very, very curious to see, um, you know, what's going to come of all of this new uh, momentum and uh, and you, not just your new project with Bobby Cairo, but some other things that you may or may not have in the works. Got something, um, something. Something, 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 something. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, I'm going to know what's up sooner than later now on it. We'll bring you back for that one, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sounds good. like it's brewing. Yeah, it is. Something's brewing. Okay. Something's brewing right now. Anything else we didn't cover, Mr. Levine? We can go on forever. I, I, we're bringing back. Now we're going to go on. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You could. You could, man. I don't know. I'm here. You know. What else didn't we touch? Wow. I mean, you know, all kinds. I mean, I've, I've known you for so long. And... Um, I definitely have had uh, quite a few experiences in the music business. So. I know you have. Um, yeah, we can talk about some forty-one. Tell me a bit about that. <laughs> Were you there when so some forty-one first gets signed, and Donald takes us all out to Barbie Barn for ribs? Of course, in the West. So, no, downtown. Okay. Close that, to the office. They loved that, that the place. West. They loved that place. They loved that place. So, for, lit. so for the rest of my career, I had this like kinship with the guys from Sum 41. <laughs> and then they started coming to my New Year's parties, which were like, like very hip hop, street crowd. And then like Sum 41 would just be backstage with me. And people would just be like, how the fuck are you even like know each other, let alone hanging out? Right? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. They were label we mates. We were label I can't I think it was maybe one year for Van's warp tour where where I'm with a band and and uh back then it was called uh uh no, it was uh it was Parc Jean Drapeau, mm -hmm. you know? And um so I go onto the bus and um, some 41's bus and there is Derek with Avril Levine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sick. And, and so I go up to Cone and I'm, I think I'm there with Parkside and uh, we start having some beers or whatever. And I tell them I'm going to meet them backstage or whatever it is. And then, so, but first I have to stop by their trailer. So I end up wandering around. I can't find their fucking trailer. And, so I, I find this one trailer. I think it's theirs. I open the door. I walk in. And who's there? But Dave Grohl. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a random Sum 41 story. And uh, I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry, Dave. You know, I didn't mean to interrupt. Wrong trailer. He's like, hey, man, want a beer? <laughs> so for, for 20 minutes, I was sitting there with Dave Grohl. We were just shooting the shit. And um, he just needed a friend at the moment. Just, I just, he's just such a friendly you. guy. Right. Like, he was just such a friendly guy. Just rode out with you. And uh, just uh, hung out for 15 minutes, 15 minutes with Dave Grohl. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sum 41. Boom. That's a podcast, 15 minutes with Dave Grohl. Go. He was an awesome dude and uh, very friendly, just shooting the shit, like, did not kick me out. Mm. Yeah, he was like a genuine, genuine dude. Yeah. So if you're ever stumbling backstage, you can probably get him to share a story. <laughs> Dave, Dave Grohl. 
Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Um, I like yeah, when you guys look at each other. You really love each other, right? Eh? No, it's just very <laughs> nostalgic. It's just, it's and really he's good. very calming. His tone of voice calms me down. I've been told. I sh- I, this guy's I like be my doing... spirit animal. <laughs> he just starts talking. Like he once brought me into his office. Oh, my God. And he sat me down and I was like, hey, like I'm doing this electronic project and you have Chromio and Boys Noise and fucking sign my project. Like this is my homie, you know, like. What are you going to do with that guitar, Letty, and sign my project? And I'm like playing records and I'm like pitching them on. Yeah, I'm in Toronto now. Da, da, da. And then he's like. No, I liked it though. I remember. You. I liked what you played. Thank you. And he's like, when are you going to have kids, Bless? <laughs> I don't remember that, man. Oh, I'll never forget it. And I'm like, um, <laughs> no time soon. Why are you asking me this? And, you know, I'm like in a whole different phase of my life. And he's like you should really have kids. You're a great guy. And you know, there's nothing better. It's what life's all about. And then he goes, you know, just teach them to be awesome little human beings. (laughs) And that always stuck with me and made me feel guilty for not having kids. Yet. Oh no. Yet. No, well, well, no, it's motivating me because I do want to have kids one day. But yeah, that always stuck with me. So thank you for that for that life advice. Sorry about that, man. No, no, it's a good thing, man. You <laughs> you tried to say get off the roller coaster and be a normal. Dude, uh, I'm sorry about that. I, <laughs> I apologize for giving you good advice. I must have just had my kids. That's yeah. probably why I was tripping balls on or, kids. Yeah, maybe I don't know. You're but, on your dad vibe, heavy. Yeah, heavy dad vibe. Oh my god, I remember. Uh, when Hayden was born, um, he never fucking slept. He hmm. never slept. And uh, I was going to uh, South by Southwest that year. And uh, so I, I was flying Montreal to either Chicago or Denver. I can't remember. And I had figured out that the, the gate that my connecting flight was in fact the same flight that I had just flown in. Like if I were flying into Chicago, that same plane that I had just flown to Chicago and then was going to Austin, that was the exact same plane and exact same gate that was Ooh. being used for my connection. Okay. Did I explain that? Yeah, yeah right? easy enough. Okay. So. Not a big walk. I was like, okay, do I even have to get off the plane? Mm. Right. If this, so I actually went up to um, um, to the flight attendant for sure. Can I just chill? This is the craziest shit. I I went up to the flight attendant, right, and she and I I showed her, you know, for my boarding pass for the connecting flight was indeed this from this gate, this flight, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she was like, "Wow." I'm like, "Yeah." Do I even have to get off? Um. Do I even have to get off the plane? And she was like, you know what? No, if you don't mind the cleaning crew coming in or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you can just stay on on the plane, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. This was at the start of my flight from Montreal to Chicago or mm-hmm. Denver or wherever it was that I was going to connect to Austin. And uh, as soon as she said that, I sat down in my seat I was so tired from not getting any sleep from my my firstborn son, never sleeping, mm. right? I sat down in the seat and I passed out, mm. okay? 
the next thing I know or the next thing I hear is the captain saying that we're about to land in Austin, Texas. I missed the cleaning crew. I missed the landing <laughs> mm-hmm. in Chicago. I missed the cleaning crew. And then when the captain said that, I opened my eyes and the girl, there's this woman sitting next to me I've never seen before. She was like, good morning, sleepyhead. That's, <laughs> that's <what> she, <laughs> I missed the plane deplaning, the new people coming in, the takeoff, the flight, and I didn't miss the landing, but almost and i i had we're basically slept teleported through. to your destination i had slept through the connection that's that's great yeah that's how fucked up i was from that's, from being a new dad that's the best flight ever yeah good morning sleepyhead i'll never forget <laughs> that I'll, i laughed so hard the closest so uh polite on planes too they always want to be your friends so she was waiting all day for you to wake up <laughs> oh man the closest i have and it has nothing to do with that you know theme but my nightmare of a flight, worst flight I ever took, was I had gone to Vegas for the magic convention. It's like the clothing convention they do every year. And I went with the people from Rockaware here in, uh, in, in Canada. And like every night, there's a different insane open bar party at whatever is the big club. And it's always open bar, like hosted by this brand or that brand. But like they're sending like full bottles of Patron to your table, like for free. And I partied my fucking eyes out. And I said, on my way back, I'll fly to um, Miami to see a, a, a good friend of mine who was a producer. I wanted to work on some tracks, stay at his place. He had a home studio. So I said, I'm gonna come to Miami on my way back from Vegas. Um, Big mistake. So in my uh, classic style, I didn't sleep before the flight. We partied, drank my face off, um, ran back to my room, packed my bags, barely caught the flight by the skin of my teeth. And then I'm like, I'm going to pull a Lenny and I'm going to sleep on the flight and I won't even basically you know, feel the travel time. This is great. And um, halfway through the flight, and the sun's now coming up, I hear, Bing, please put your seatbelts, prepare for emergency landing. And you know, like when you're really half awake, you're like, oh, this is a dream, you know? And you're like, uh, and then I'm kind of like, and then I I smell smoke. And I see smoke in the cabin, and I'm like, Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, please let this be a nightmare. But I'm fucking still drunk, completely whacked out. I've slept for an hour. I'm still sauced. So, you know, you're half whacked out. And like I say to the, you know, to the flight attendant, I'm like, uh, is this a joke? What's going on? You know? And then she says, well, there's smoke coming from somewhere. We don't know what it is. And we're halfway across the ocean so we can't turn back and we're just gonna have to fly to the closest airport and what hope we make it (laughs) like i'm like so you have no idea what's wrong and then for the next hour and a half we just sat terrified i was alone (laughs) on the flight and never knew what the smoke was 
you know, we ended up obviously landing okay, and that was it. And then I was like, do I even get a fucking refund for my flight? Like, I flew in terror, <laughs> drunk. <laughs> and then my, uh, my buddy picked me up. And he was like, how was the flight? I'm like, you don't even want to know. Like, let's just go to the hotel. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Oh, my God. Man. Yeah. You never found out what the smoke was? Nothing. Never investigated? You should have. I honestly was just happy to be alive. Yeah, just fair. wanted to wipe that one from my memory. But um, creepy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, definitely was amazing catching up with you. Lenny Levine. The legend. The 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 uh, me the rogue sounds great the rogue <laughs> the rogue motherfucker gorilla style wild man of the music business <laughs> stop <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your your inspiration your story from last gang to seeing what the future holds to Bobby Cairo to DKD good luck with that to project. Phantasmagoria. Thank you. A thank lot of you. history, man. And thank Thanks, you for man. your contributions to the business and to the culture. And um, we definitely have to have you thank back you, shortly. Sir. Thank you. We can talk about that, that new thing we're not talking about. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. That'd the Moment great. of Truth podcast. Bless. Let me know. Lenny Levine. Thank you so much. Yeah.